quiet. Are you thankful that he loves you? <laughs> Praise God. I'm thankful that he reads for me. Praise God. Let's all stand together. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Thank him for his presence that we feel in this place. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. We'll read verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And then we'll go to the next book, which is the book of Romans. And we'll read in chapter 8 and verse 19. Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly they came, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Filled is a key word in the book of Acts. It's mentioned twice here. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Amen. In both cases and in both readings, the Spirit of the Lord is so very, very important. It transforms, it changes, it reignites, it resurrects. Amen. I want the Spirit of God, amen, in my life, operating in my life. I recognize that there's a lot to say about the Spirit in the Word. So for a few moments here, we're going to look into the Word of God. But I just want to know, does anybody want to testify that you have received the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ into your life, and what a difference it has made. What an amazing difference it has made. Hallelujah. If that's your testimony, praise God. Why don't you clap your hands, lift up your voice, thank the Lord together. We are an apostolic Pentecostal church. We believe in the empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. So for a few moments here tonight, I want to speak to you on this subject, hovering over the chaos, hovering over the chaos. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing, your word, your goodness to us. We pray that you would 
bring enlightenment, illumination, strength, encouragement from the Word of God here tonight. We thank you for the spirit of truth that brings order in our lives. It does not bring chaos. It does not bring chaos. It brings order into our life. And we live in a world that's trying to take the order and make it chaos. But we ask that your word would be a strength to us and it would establish us and settle us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word. You can be seated. There is ingress in the kingdom. That is, there is entering into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is something that is powerful. It expands. It's like the seed of a mustard tree, a mustard seed that is very, very small, very small, but it grows, it expands, and eventually it becomes a tree that houses and shades anything that comes underneath it, and it houses birds, and it creates a complete uh, dynamic of growth that happens from something that is very, very small, and there is an entering into that process. There is ingress. Matter of fact, when John was writing his gospel and he was referring to Nicodemus and the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus. Jesus said unto Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So there is ingress, according to Jesus' words, not my words, According to Jesus' words, there is ingress or there is entering into the kingdom of God, and it is significant, and an individual must be born of water and of the Spirit to enter into that kingdom. I'm thankful for the kingdom of God. We find the kingdoms of this world are so lacking, so disappointing, and you can read about it and talk about it and discuss it, but by, at the end of the day, you're still going to be disappointed. I'm thankful we can come to the house of God tonight and talk about the kingdom of God and say, I'm not disappointed in what God is doing, and I want to be involved with what God is doing. Praise God. You feel that way in the house of God tonight? I want to be in the middle of what God is doing. It does not bring disappointment. It brings purpose. Money is not going to bring everything to you. People pursue money thinking that that's going to bring happiness. And there has been studies that have been done. What, what makes an individual happy and it, finances and education and careers and all this kind of stuff. And really what makes people happy is if they feel like they have purpose in their life. And if they have purpose in their life, they're more happy. They can have no money but have purpose and be happy with that. They may have a lot of money, but they have purpose. They're happy. And so purpose is significant, and the kingdom of God is about purpose. It's about utilizing our talents and abilities in the kingdom. And so there is ingress or there is entering into that kingdom, and it's significant and it's important. Some people think the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, you have to understand that that comes from an ancient Greek word, which is pneuma. We'll talk about it at the end, but it simply means breath, wind, and spirit. And so in 1611, the King James translators are trying to translate that, and so they translate it as ghost. 
And some people have no clue what that means, and it could scare them away when they hear about a ghost chasing after them. It's the Spirit of God that is pursuing you. So whether it's a ghost or whether it's the Spirit, it is a great opportunity to say, God, I want your pursuit in my life, and I want to come into contact with the breath of God that breathes, that hovers over the chaos, amen, and that transforms it. And so some people think that that spirit is an optional blessing and that it is not essential to salvation. But I want you to know, based on the scriptures that we're going to read here tonight, that it's not something that is just optional. It is important, absolutely important in our life. And the scriptures are going to reveal that. And that in the scriptures, it is evident that it is essential in our lives for us to be saved from sin. When you repent, you acknowledge the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is sin. When you are baptized in Jesus' name, there is a removal of the elephant out of your life. And your sins are washed away. But it's the Spirit of God that gives you the power to keep the elephant out of the room. Praise God. You need the Holy Ghost that empowers you and strengthens you to overcome some of the things in your life that dominated and controlled you. That's why the Holy Ghost is so very, very important. I need something greater than myself that's operating in my life to give me the ability to overcome. And it's the Spirit of God that does that. It's the Spirit of God that does that. So let's, let's look at this. Let's take this in kind of a linear fashion. And let's look at the scripture and the key scriptures that talk about the spirit of God and talk about the Holy Ghost. So the Bible says that all scripture is given to us for examples and that it is profitable for doctrine. And so when we start looking up scriptures, reading scriptures, we're building a doctrine or the teaching and all the scriptures have significance. So the best place probably is to start in the Old Testament and look at some of the prophets that talked about the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, they were looking at it from afar off. Peter talks about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 39 that this promise is to you and to your children and all that are afar off. And so in the Old Testament, there were some prophets that were afar off. They were prophesying about a day. God gave them a revelation about a day that was going to come in which his spirit would be poured out. But they themselves never experienced it. And so if we start from afar off in the Old Testament, we can look at prophetic scripture that has been fulfilled over and over since the day of Pentecost in A.D. 33. And I'm happy to tell you today that men and women are still receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that you have come too late to tell me that there has been a cessation of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Every once in a while you come across somebody and say, well, that was for the first century church. That was for A.D., the first century, but it doesn't continue. But <laughs> there is a lot of us here who have been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost that will refute that because God filled us with the Holy Ghost. Praise God. Amen. So there are four great prophets that spoke about the Holy Ghost. Isaiah, he foretold that God would use stammering lips 
and another tongue. And he would speak to his people in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse number 11 and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. So the prophet Isaiah is saying this Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ that is going to come, it is going to be with stammering lips and another tongue, and it is going to be refreshing. It is going to be a rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. This was Isaiah, one of the four great prophets that we are looking at. The prophet Joel foretold the outpouring of the Spirit upon all flesh in Joel chapter 2 and verse number 28. As a matter of fact, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he reiterates this prophetic word of Joel in chapter 2 and verse 28. But for the sake of what the prophet himself said, Let's look at Joel chapter 2 and verse number 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids, in those days will I pour out my spirit. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, as he is preaching, he says, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel. He goes back and he pulls from that prophetic word of Joel in chapter 2 and verse number 28. Another great prophet that talked about the Holy Ghost is John the Baptist. All four gospel writers Record John's prophecy of Christ baptizing with the Holy Ghost and fire. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus himself said that John was a prophet. It was John that was prophesying in Matthew chapter 3 and verse number 11 that said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So there's going to be an experience that is <clears throat> ecstatic, that is illuminating, that is powerful. John was preaching a baptism of repentance, and so he was the messenger of Jesus. And so his message was specific about preparing the way. But he prophesied that the one that's coming is going to baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus thought very much about John the Baptist. When the people came out, Jesus spoke to them and he said, you've come out into the wilderness and what have you come to see? Have you come to see a reed shaken with the wind? What is it that you came to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's courts. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. So Isaiah prophesied. Uh, Joel prophesied, 
And now John the Baptist is the messenger. He's the harbinger of the one that is to come. He's preaching a message of repentance. And the people are coming, but his message is this. <laughs> if you think I'm great, there is one that's coming after me that's mightier than I, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. But when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. God. And then the fourth prophet was Jesus Christ. He would be what you would call the prophet of all the prophets. And he came, and it was proper and fitting as a prophet to declare the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Jesus talked about the Spirit of God in various ways. In John chapter 7 and verse number 3, 37, listen to the way that he describes the Holy Ghost. John, John chapter 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was in bodily form, and therefore there was no need of the Holy Ghost because Jesus is the Holy Ghost. And so Jesus was with the disciples. But Jesus said, there's coming a day in which I'm going to be resurrected, and when I'm resurrected, then my spirit is going to come, and it's going to reside with you. And not only is it going to be with you, but it's going to be in you. And when it is in you, it is going to be like a river that springs up into everlasting life. It's going to flow. And so Jesus said, if you're thirsty, I've got something that is refreshing, just like the prophet Joel said. I've got something that is refreshing. It's going to be a well of living water that springs up into everlasting life. It's coming, Jesus said. Praise God. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So he talked it about it being like a well of water springing up into everlasting life. When he talked to Nicodemus, he talked about the spirit being a new birth. Nicodemus was very confused about that. And so let's go to that chapter and verse in John chapter 3 and verse number 1. This is exciting, folks. You know why this is exciting? Because there's people interested in the Holy Ghost. I said there's people interesting in the Holy Ghost. What are you people all about? What, what is this Pentecostal experience? Amen. I, I'm excited about it because it's the power of Christ in you. The hope. And so this, <laughs> now maybe you haven't talked to anybody in this building that's interested about the Holy Ghost, but I have. So that's why I'm excited about it. That's why I'm teaching on it, actually. And it's fun because it's, it's who we are. It's part of who we are. And so Nicodemus, he's, he's asking about this entering, this ingress into the kingdom. Jesus is talking about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and so Nicodemus 
He's very wise. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He's a Pharisee, so he wants to know. And so he's like, how does one enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus starts a dialogue with him in John chapter 3 and verse number 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night because he was fearful that he would get canceled by the Pharisees. So he was trying to manage that. It's kind of like our world today, yes? People are fearful to say anything because they're afraid of the repercussions of what might be associated with standing up for something. So he comes by night and he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that you do except God be with him. Jesus answered and said, verily, verily. Anytime Jesus says verily, verily in John, it's amen, amen. It, it, it means authority. Like Jesus is not just talking to Nicodemus as a peer. Jesus is talking as if Jesus is God. So whenever he says, verily, verily, it's like heaven coming down and touching earth. So Nicodemus is hearing Jesus say, verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So in this passage of scripture, Jesus is talking about the Holy Ghost. He's a prophet. He's talking about something that is to come. All these prophets, Isaiah, Joel, John the Baptist, Jesus, they're they're foretelling something. Something is coming. And Jesus talks about it being a well springing up into everlasting life. Uh, and here we find him talking about the spirit in a birth scenario. And he says that a person cannot, a person must be born again for them to see the kingdom of God. Now, that's confusing to Nicodemus. He said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily. I, 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 mean, <laughs> I know when you're reading it, it's verily, verily. But it's fun to read it as if that's God speaking because then Jesus, you know, I don't think maybe he was saying that. It happened like that. But when I read it, I understand what John is trying to say. John is trying to say, this is not just another rabbi, <laughs> a teacher, and he's a peer. He's saying this is God manifest in the flesh. Jesus even said, in one particular case, they said, who are you? Our father is Abraham. And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. So when he says, verily, verily, you know it's coming from the mouth of God. And he says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, let me just say something right there. Born of the flesh and born of the spirit. Sometimes pursuing the Holy Ghost is a birth process. Some people say, I want the Holy Ghost. Just let it fall on me. It's a birth process, honey. Now, I'm not of the female persuasion, but I understand what a, what a birth process is. I was there at the birth of my two children and felt very sorry for my wife <laughs> because she was in travail. Yes, 
And so when you're pursuing the Holy Ghost, if it's a birth thing, you don't just, it's just not like you stand there and it just happens. It's, it's something that is a process that, that, that takes some effort, right? So when I'm seeking the Holy Ghost, I've got to enter into that if I want to be born again. I've got to seek God, and there's a travail, and there's, there's something happening, and there, there's something moving, and I'm praying, and I'm seeking for the Holy Ghost because I want something to be birthed in me. So birth of this flesh, birth of the spirit, he said. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind, now he's using some more terminology. The wind blows where it listeth. Thou hear, you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from. And so is it that is everyone that is born of the spirit. So it is like a wind. And in the book of Acts, in chapter number two, when they're in the upper room that we read, in Acts chapter 2, it said that the Holy Ghost came in like a rushing wind. So that's a wind. So the Spirit is like a wind. It moves. It operates. Nobody can tell where it's coming from or how it's coming, but it's happening. So Jesus talks about the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, as being something that is a new birth experience, as being a river of living water springing up out of a well. And he also talks about the Spirit of God as being a comforter. John chapter 14 and verse number 25. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He's speaking to the disciples. And this, again, is another reason why Jesus is saying, if I'm with you, I'm with you. My, my presence, my spirit is with you. When I am resurrected and taken up, then there is something called the comforter that's going to come to you, and it's going to bring to you. What is it going to bring to you? It's going to teach you. It's going to bring things to your remembrance, a quickening. Whatever I've said unto you, you'll be able to go back and you'll be able to pull that up in your knowledge. And so that spirit or that comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, it's going to come to you. And Jesus promised his followers right before his, his ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 5. He said, Terry in Jerusalem, because the promise is coming to you and you're going to be endued with power from on high. The spirit of God is coming. The Holy Ghost is coming. And we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, they were gathered there and the Holy Ghost came upon them. So all four major prophets that we've read here talked about that day prophesied about that day. Isaiah, Joel, John the Baptist, Jesus constantly instructed them, go to Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. He gave to them instructions. And so this happens in Acts chapter number two. All these, all of these prophets were foretelling something. They were looking forward to something. It had not happened, but it was happening in prophecy where there was a hint that something is greater to come. And so people latched onto this and they were puzzled by this and somewhat confused by this. But the people that went into an upper room and tarried for a promise. They were not puzzled or confused when the Holy Ghost was poured out upon them and they received the power of the Holy Ghost. 
And if that wasn't too impressive to you, I'm going to have a drink. Okay, so we've looked at, what have we looked at? We've looked at the prophets that spoke of the Holy Ghost. Now, what is the gift of the Holy Ghost? That's a good question to ask. What is it? <clears throat> There's a lot of different terms that describe the gift of the Holy Ghost in the life of believers. We read in our text in Romans, it was called the Spirit of God and it was called the Spirit of Christ. They're not, they're not different spirits. It's one spirit. Every single term that I'm giving you is talking about the same spirit. The Spirit of Christ is also called the Spirit of God because Jesus is God. And so the Holy Ghost is taught as the Spirit of Christ. It is a baptism. We read that this baptism of the Holy Ghost is inundating, overwhelming immersion in the Spirit. God baptizes us into one body. We are baptized with the Holy Ghost into one baptism, and this is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians because he's talking about spiritual things. Great passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so because he's talking about being in you all, he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> so it is... The Spirit of Christ, it is a baptism, it is a birth, and this is what we have read here regarding Nicodemus and Jesus talking to him about a person that must be born again. It's referred to as a seal. God gives to us the Spirit of God to seal us for the day of redemption. It is his stamp of, of approval. It is an identity mark in our life. That God has sealed us. You were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. God has made a promise to us that there is more to this life, that there is a resurrection, a better resurrection where this mortal will put on immortality. And so we will rise together to be with the Lord. And so the Holy Ghost in our life becomes the seal that identifies us for that day of reckoning. Another place... It talks about it being the earnest of our inheritance. This is powerful because what that is saying is that he has given to us the Holy Ghost and it is just the earnest or it's a small part of the, it's a down payment of the greater thing that is going to take place. So if you're happy with the Holy Ghost right now, there's coming a day because that's just the earnest of your inheritance. When you get the full inheritance, you're going to get the fullness of the spirit in your life and it is going to be greater than anything you could ever, ever imagine. When you're full of the Holy Ghost and you feel like, man, this is amazing. Just know this, that's the small down payment. That's the small down payment on what we're going to receive if we are faithful. It's the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning if it's the first fruits, then there's a whole lot more that is coming through the empowerment of the Spirit. Jesus talked about the Holy Ghost being a rest. We read that. Isaiah said that it would be the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. So it becomes a day of rest. 
the Holy Ghost becomes like the Old Testament Sabbath, where every single day is a holy day of rest and peace and joy in him. These are all, what is the Holy Ghost? It's all of these things. It is, we read this in our text, it is the spirit of adoption. It's through the Holy Ghost that we've been adopted as the children of God, and we cry out, Abba, which means Father. So he adopts us into a family. Maybe you came from situations that wasn't the best. When you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God adopts you into the family, and he makes you significant. You may have been insignificant, but when he brings you into the family, you become significant. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. There is an adoption that takes place. This is why we can say, Abba, Father, thank you for pulling me out of the dysfunction and disappointment of earthly families, and you brought me into a spiritual family. Praise God. I'm glad you're in the family. I said, I'm glad, I'm glad you're in the family. We need to clap our hands and thank God for everybody that is here tonight because you're in the family. God. Uh, it's living water. You read the passage in John chapter 7. Those who have drunk of the spiritual drink and of the spiritual rock know the depth of this term. Living water is refreshing and revitalizing. Jesus said the Holy Ghost is like that. It is also referred to as power from on high. We are weak creatures. We need power outside the human realm. And through the empowerment of the Spirit, God gives to us the needed power. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, he said, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you to be witnesses. And so God empowers us to live as he directs us in his word. We are endued with power from on high. And this power that comes from us, it comes through the spirit of God that is sent down from heaven. Amen. This is why we need the Holy Ghost. You can't overcome some things on your own. You can, you can try just based on your own personal will, but it will not be enough. Amen. You need something greater than yourself. You may, you may be successful for a period of time trying to plow through it just with my own strength putting on my boots and trying to fight through it but at some point you're going to be disappointed because you can't make it on your own but I can tell you this with the empowerment of the Holy Ghost you can make it through every valley praise God you can fight every giant hallelujah you can destroy every high wall that's in your way because the empowerment of the Spirit gives you strength. It gives you strength. So that's, that's, that's what the Holy Ghost is. We're asking ourselves some key things here. How did the prophets speak about the Holy Ghost? They foretold of this spiritual thing that was going to happen. And it was very, very meaningful for them, and it was a theme. And Jesus spoke about it. And so then we ask ourselves the question, what is the Holy Ghost? And we looked at all of these phrases that talk about what the Holy Ghost is. Now, this is a great question. Who can receive the Holy Ghost? Well, God has made conditional promises to those that want the Holy Ghost. 
And when those conditions are met, anyone, somebody say anyone, any, anyone can receive the Holy Ghost. God is no respecter of persons, but he will give the spirit to those who ask him. This is found in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 13. And so God's promise is to all flesh, sons, daughters, servants, handmaids. Joel, we read that passage, said your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your sons, daughters, and then he even goes on to say handmaids. So what he's doing there, he's breaking down every uh, social demographic, and basically he is saying the Holy Ghost is for everybody. It's not just for Jews, and it's not just for Gentiles, because there was a separation there. This foretelling that is going to happen, it, it, it's going to be for this huge family that includes everyone in it. John the Baptist did not exclude anyone in preaching about the Holy Ghost. Peter declared that the Holy Ghost is for the Jews and the Gentiles in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. Listen to this. Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, I want to say something right here because this is very, very important. There is a church that has connections uh, way back in history that is connected to the apostolic movement that at one point believed in the Holy Ghost. But because they stopped preaching that it is something that is normative for the church, then the very foundation they were built upon, which was the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, is something that is not even happening in their church anymore. And it has caused great consternation among their theologians in talking about this. I'm thankful that we still preach the essentiality and the ability, the opportunity to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Listen, every time we're in service, we want to move of God so that somebody can receive the Holy Ghost. Every time there is a stirring and the wind is blowing and people are worshiping and praising God. We want those opportunities to be afforded to everybody to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And if you've got the Holy Ghost, we want there to be a renewing of the Holy Ghost, a refreshing in the house of God, a water that flows like a well of water springing up into everlasting life, bringing a rest to us. Amen. You get what you preach. If you don't preach the Holy Ghost, you're not going to have the Holy Ghost. But if you step into a pulpit and you say, we are going to have a move of God, and God is going to do great things in this place, and you can receive the promise, then you're going to get what you preach. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God, Sister Latasha. Praise God, Sister Eloina. Amen. Praise God. Sometimes we need a good renewing in the Holy Ghost because we might have forgotten how powerful it was in our life initially. Right? Life sometimes can erode some things and make us become apathetic. Well, it's just the Holy Ghost, and they're just worshiping all up in there. Listen, no, I got to step into the realm. God, refresh some things in my mind. Take me back to my first love when you filled me with your spirit, and it was so profound and so powerful that I felt like I could accomplish anything. Take me back to those moments. Amen. So it was for everybody. Uh, God gives those. God gives the Holy Ghost to those who obey him. We see in Samaria, they received the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number 8. Cornelius and his house 
receive the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter number 10. And Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 9 says, They sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. This is what the Holy Ghost, this is who it's for. Who's it for? It's for every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation. The scripture said that the angels desire to look into this salvation that we have. Prophets searched and inquired diligently, says 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 10. They searched diligently, and guess what? We get to have it. They looked for it. They prayed for it. They died, never received it. But we have the opportunity to, to recognize what they were talking about, and we are the recipients of the Spirit of God operating in our lives. Now, what is the evidence of the Holy Ghost? I think that's a really good question to ask as well. What is the evidence of the Holy Ghost? On the day of Pentecost that we read in our text, there were 120 believers and they were tearing in Jerusalem. Jesus told them to. Actually, let's read what Jesus told them to do. How's that? Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4. Jesus is with them, being assembled together with them. Acts chapter 1, verse number 4. Praise God. Commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days since. See how all these streams are now coming together? We read all these verses and Jesus pulling it all together here. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at the time restore again the kingdom of Israel? Now, this is a great question because what they're wanting to know, they're wanting to know about Roman rule and domination. They're thinking eschatologically. Big word, but just means a study of the end time, the last things. Eschaton, the last things. So they're Jews, and so Jesus is talking about this kingdom and so they're wanting to know, when's it going to be ushered in? They're thinking about Roman domination. They're thinking in that nation, nationalistic uh, idea and mentality of a Jewish nation and, and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus, Jesus has got something greater than just one nation. He's getting ready to pour out his spirit upon all nations. Praise God. And so he just kind of blows by that. Verse number seven, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the father hath put in his own power. This is what he really wanted to get to. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and, un and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is, this is earth shattering. They were just talking about this kingdom that is specific to the Jews. And Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, you're going to be witnesses around the world. And so when we read in Acts chapter 2, we're asking ourselves, what is the evidence of the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1? We read that in our text, but we'll read it again. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Wind. Jesus talked to Nicodemus about the Holy Ghost being like a wind. It blows where it listeth. Nobody knows where it comes from. So is it going to be when the Holy Ghost is poured out? And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now somebody might ask, why does the Holy Ghost come <clears throat> as a sign through speaking in tongues? This is a whole other lesson. And maybe next week we'll talk about the tongue. But stop and think about it just for a minute here. If you're going to pick a, a part of the body that is going to be a descriptor of the Holy Ghost coming into, infilling a life, 
then what is the member that has the capability of doing the most damage? Your tongue and your mouth. We can, we, we can say uh, things that destroy, kill. And so as a sign coming into the life of a believer, he's taking control of the thing that is very hard to control. And that is the tongue. That's a whole other thing. But here they are in the upper room. The Holy Ghost is poured out. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is the ev these are evidences of the Holy Ghost being normative or operating in that church, that first century church, that then became not just that church, but it started to spread because they were empowered to be witnesses. And now they're spreading everywhere, talking about the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul said to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, he said, I speak with tongues more than anyone in the Corinthian church. Now, I don't think he was just bragging, but he was trying to establish something in their church that it was important and it needed to be in order. And no doubt his first occasion of speaking in tongues was when he received the Holy Ghost himself. Isaiah prophesied of God speaking through another tongue to his people. We quoted that scripture. When the New Testament church began, the believers spoke in other tongues. We read that scripture in Acts chapter 2. Though not explicitly stated, the evidence reveals that the Samaritans spoke in tongues in Acts chapter number 8. Now, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues, but watch this because this is really good. There is a guy that's kind of hanging around the revival, and his name is Simon, and he was a sorcerer. He was involved in witchcraft, and they held him out to be some great person. And so here he was. He's listening. They're having revival, and he himself believed and was baptized. So they were preaching. Obviously, they were preaching a new birth experience of baptism, of water, and of the Spirit and repentance. And so they're preaching this, and Simon is observing all of this. And so they were baptized, and the Scripture said Simon himself believed and was baptized. So that was significant. The baptism of water was significant. And so he's, he's just kind of watching, and he's observing. And in verse <clears throat> number 14 of Acts chapter number 8, the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, Heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now, it doesn't say they spoke in tongues, but here's what's significant about that. Simon, when he saw the empowerment of the Holy Ghost, he obviously saw something because he wanted to buy it. He wanted to purchase what he was seeing so that he could go out and make himself more powerful and he would have this power to put his hands and, and see the Holy Ghost being poured out. And Peter turned on him and told him, you cannot buy the Holy Ghost. And, and so uh, he removed him out of the way. So in Acts chapter number 8, the Samaritans, it's very inferred that they were speaking in tongues and this is what gave him the notion of trying to buy it. Another evidence is Cornelius' household in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 44. Now, this is interesting because this is juxtaposed. Sometimes people think the new birth experience is like one, two, three. It's steps. Repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Ghost. But it's not necessarily that way, and the evidence for that is because the Samaritans were baptized, received the Holy Ghost, but in the house of Cornelius, they received the Holy Ghost, then they were baptized. The one thing that is significant in both cases is repentance must precede both of those. You, you can't receive the Holy Ghost if you have 
You have unresolved sin in your life. That's what repentance is. Repentance is identifying with Jesus' death. Baptism is identifying with his burial. And the Holy Ghost is identifying with his resurrection. But the, the thing that is significant in, in both of those cases is you've got to repent of your sins. You've you got, you got to come to a recognition that I, I can't do it. I, the wages of sin is death. I need life. And so, God, I'm bringing every stinking stain, failure, sin, every bit of ugliness, and I'm laying it at an altar before you. Every rotten addiction that is controlling me, every bit of immorality that has ravaged me, I'm yielding it to you, and I'm giving it to you. That's what repentance is. And if you can't get to that place where you lay it all out before God, if, if you're still bargaining, some people come and they will pray and they will cry and they will cry and they will cry. What's going on? Why can't they move past that stage? It's because they are, they are, there's some things in their life that they don't want to give up. And they know that they feel the anointing and power of God, but they're trying to hang on to it. They feel the power of God, the anointing of God. They know the direction that they need to go, but their flesh is in the way. And so there's a battle here. Don't move too fast past that stage. Praise God. I need, I need 100% participation in that stage. Don't move too, pat, too fast through the repentance stage. Let, let, let people, man, let people. I know we're excited about the Holy Ghost, but they got to repent before they move to that, that, that place. And there is nothing wrong with somebody coming time and time and time again, working through that. For some people, it takes a long time. For other people, they're just ready at, at, a, at a moment they're ready. But for other people, there it's more of a struggle. You, you don't want to move too fast through there because their walk with God may not be as successful if they don't lay all that down. <clears throat> Praise God. That's really good stuff right there. Praise God. That's really, really good. So what was I saying? Oh, I was saying Cornelius' house, in this particular case, this is evidence. Look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 44. I'm, 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 I can see conclusion in my notes. So just, just to give you, I can see it. It's right there. Uh, in Acts chapter 10 and verse 44, in Cornelius' household, they were Gentiles. Uh, and this was what was so astonishing in Acts chapter 10 verse 44. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. That means those of the Jews were now seeing that the Holy Ghost is falling on a bunch of Gentiles. As many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is so powerful here. Man, this, this right here is so amazing. Because, I mean, it says they were astonished because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Next verse. Why? For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how they knew. That's how they recognized. And it shocked them that God, it shouldn't have shocked them because Jesus told them you're going to be witnesses all over the world. But they're still trying to, you know, it's like the blind man that Jesus touches and he asked them, what do you see? And he said, I see men as trees walking. He can't quite really see. And Jesus touches him a second time and then he can see. It's like Peter and some of them, they, 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 they kind of see but it takes something like this for them to really recognize and, re oh, wait a minute. Jesus is not just bringing the spirit of God and the anointing of God just for the Jews. He's pouring out the Holy Ghost on the Gentiles, which means the Holy Ghost is for everybody. 
Woo! I can see it now. And, and, and this, was, this was major evidence for them because the Gentiles were talking in tongues. And so then answered Peter, what, what is this, uh, verse 47. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now, why would he command them to be baptized? He didn't say he gave them an option. He commanded them to be baptized. So that Nicodemus conversation about the birth of the water and of the spirit, it works together to produce a transformative birth. I need to be baptized in Jesus' name because that's the birth of the water in my life. It's identifying with Jesus' burial. And I need a transformation of the spirit in my life to identify with a resurrecting power of Jesus. And so in Cornelius' case, the Holy Ghost came before baptism. So sometimes those two can can be juxtaposed, but repentance should always come first. The last bit of evidence that I'll, I'll leave you with is Acts chapter 19, verse number one, since we've been talking about John the Baptist and what he was doing, talking about Jesus pouring out the Holy Ghost, and he's out there in Jordan, in the Jordan River, and he's preaching this. Some of his disciples, Paul comes across in his missionary journey, Acts chapter 19, verse number one, came to pass that while Paulus was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, this was so neat because we had the opportunity just some time ago, the seven churches of Asia to stand in Ephesus. You can still see some of the ruins from Ephesus. Of all of the churches, that one is, was the most amazing because the streets were there, a lot of it, uh, the configuration was there, standing in the area where Paul would have sold uh, tents and worked as a tent maker. Now, this is where he was in Ephesus, and he finds some of John's disciples in this cosmopolitan ancient city, and he asks them a question. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? What a great question to ask, right? They said, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul thought it significant enough to ask them about, okay, what was your what mode of baptism then has been accomplished? And they said, John's baptism. So he baptizes them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. So we've, we've asked ourselves some major, major, major theological questions here. We've asked ourselves about the prophets that foretold about the Spirit. We have asked ourselves, what is the gift of the Holy Ghost? We've asked ourselves, who can receive the Holy Ghost? And we've asked ourselves, show me some evidence of the Holy Ghost. Now, in conclusion here, there's synonymous terms for the Holy Ghost. Baptized with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost. Received the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came upon them. The Spirit was poured out. The Holy Ghost was sent down from heaven. The Holy Ghost fell. The Holy Ghost has been shed on us. And here's what's significant about the Cornelius and his household case 
is that four of the terms I just gave you were in that scenario. Fell, poured out, gift, and received. And so all of these are synonymous terms. And the scripture reveals and stresses the importance and the essentiality of receiving the Spirit of God into our life. Without the Holy Ghost, then the Scripture said in Romans that we read in our text, we are none of His. We need the Spirit of God in our life. It's what is going to identify us with Him. The catching away of the church, what is the significant thing that catches us away? The Spirit of God that is operating in our lives. What gives us the ability to say that Jesus is Lord over every area of my life? It's going to come through the Spirit of God in our life. Amen. So that word, that ancient word, panuma, is translated as breath as the musicians come here tonight. It's translated as breath. It's translated as wind, spirit, and breath. And you can see in some of the scriptures that we have read where they're interchangeable. He talks about the spirit as a wind, panuma. Talks about the spirit as a spirit, panuma. Talks about the spirit as breath. In one particular case, Jesus is looking at the disciples and he breathes on them the Holy Ghost. He is prefacing what's going to come, but he acts it out. He himself breathes on them. So they have the opportunity of seeing Jesus actually <laughs> upon them as he's acting out something that is going to happen when he's not in their presence. I guarantee you they, they were reflecting on that at some point. And they, you remember that time Jesus blew on us? Yeah, we knew what he was doing. He blew on us because he was with us. And he blew on us in an upper room when he was not with us. And we experienced the power and the breath of God. It is the breath of God that hovers over. You're, you're wondering. I know some of you are. You're like, I know some of you are. You're like, okay, his title. He said nothing about his title. When's he ever going to get to it? He must have forgotten. Or maybe he got the wrong message. <clears throat> He's preaching the wrong message. No. It's the breath of God that hovers over the lifeless void in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This is the story of creation in the Hebrew scriptures that talk about a poetic rendition of a creative movement of God and it's about order because he's creating something and he's creating order and he's infiltrating disorder or chaos and he breathes on the chaos and out of the chaos comes the order and he creates creation. Do you know what? He does the same thing spiritually with each and every one of us because we come to God in chaos. Our lives are in utter chaos and we come to God but there is a God that is hovering over the chaos and he breathes onto the chaos and he breathes order out of those addictions and out of that dysfunction and he gives to us the ability to have an order in our life a transformation and a change Woo. you know what our world is doing right now it's taking the order and it's trying to make it chaos stop to think about it there is order that God gives order, biological, a truth, everything. There is order. And, and our world is saying, I don't want order. I'm going to rebel against it. I don't care. I want chaos. 
Well, there better be a church that can preach and say, we're not going to follow chaos. We believe that people want to get out of the chaos and out of the confusion. And God's hovering over the chaos. And he's breathing on the chaos. And out of the chaos comes order when somebody comes to God. Praise God. And he takes your chaos and he takes all that stuff. And he starts ordering it and creating things in your life. Mm. The earth was devoid of life. And the spirit was present to transform the space of void and darkness. And God's spirit, what does it do? It brings something fresh and new and glorious. This creative act was the divine breath infiltrating the dark formlessness and infusing it with life, something the earth had not known. You know what's so exciting? Praise God when somebody says, you know what, I heard you talk and preach about the Holy Ghost, but until I experienced it myself, I never knew what it was like, but it is like I'm walking on sunshine. The old gives way to the new by the breath of God. And what the Spirit does, it hovers over the spaces of not life. Not life. And it renews and it animates and it infiltrates the spaces of brokenness and darkness. And he breathes something fresh. And he breathes something new empowering and infilling of the Holy Ghost. We need to stand to our feet here tonight. Hallelujah. And we need to lift our hands and say, Lord, thank you for your spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you for your hover over the chaos. Hover over dysfunction, Lord. And bring to order some things and direct us. something new, something empowering. Let your anointing fall on me. 
Praise God. If you're seeking the Holy Ghost, amen. Keep seeking the Holy Ghost. Pressing through, pressing in. Praise God. God got great things for you. I believe it. It's a promise. It's something that will happen. Thank you, Lord. Let's thank the Lord together by clapping our hands and worshiping him. Lord, we thank you for your promise. We give to you thanks and we give to you adoration. Amen. Let the Holy Ghost be in operation in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Greet somebody. Amen. Tell them it was very good to see them in the house of the Lord tonight on a Bible study night where the Holy Ghost has impacted and challenged us.